the circuit breaker content that is not suitable for kids like me. Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Erin Klein and Diana Seacon, where we prove we know nothing about our legal system, but we're still crazy for a good true crime story. Hey, Erin. I was about to say, hey, Diana. (laughs) (laughs) I'm breaking it up. I see that. Changing the paradigm. Ooh, I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. Yeah, I don't know if I I am either. Do Do we need to do this again? No, I, <laughs> maybe I'll just do some creative editing or something and figure it out. Excellent. Uh, so, how was your week? I don't even remember. Right? That's how I feel, too. <laughs> I have a vague impression that it was pretty positive. Oh, it was cool because I went to the Mitter Museum. <gasps> That's right. It was amazing. I can't believe we haven't recorded since then. I have no. a funny story about that. How was it? It was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was like so many of the things I love, which yeah. is um, disgusting and right. <laughs> disgusting wall of skulls. Top yes. Notch. Yes. Um, but they kept it. You know, the, the museum is based on Dr. Mooder's collection. He yeah. was a doctor in the late 1800s. So it's very much in that style, kind of a yeah. cabinet of curiosities with the heavy wood and the old timey displays. And they even had some of the old labels. So like the wall of skulls, like for some reason, lots of them were denoted by their religion. Like that was something oh. you needed to know about a skull. And then of course- Was there it were- like religion pretending to be ethnicity? Maybe, but the, like everyone's going to be like Russian Orthodox. Interesting. Um, but- I think not that it was my favorite, but they used words we no longer use for medical conditions. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just sort of historical feeling. Right. And, yeah. 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 Um, and we noticed that there. Oh, I shouldn't talk about this. So what? I have Amanda on to talk about it. It's true. Well, you can give us a little preview. Okay. Um, but they had a campaign where you could adopt one of the skulls for preservation. Oh, cool. Which I didn't initially notice. And Amanda was reading the sign and she noticed that. And I was like, hook me up. Where do I do this? Where is the form? I right. will sign it. Here is my credit card. And it turned out they'd all been adopted. Oh. I know. So I'm going to have to see if they have any future opportunities like that. Because I think yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah, that is cool. I've never been able to afford to like adopt an animal at the zoo. But I might be able to afford adopting adopt a, a skull. skull. <laughs> when we were little, my grandma that is now living with my parents adopted us humpback whales a couple times that was very cool and like the one that we had I think that it was like she may have adopted it for like all the grandchildren collectively but um the one that we had had a baby and like you got to hear all the stories about it like you followed that one it was very cool did it write you letters it did not write me letters but uh we did get to see pictures like photos of it and that was really neat that is really it had I guess they tell them humpbacks apart by their fluke patterns Mm -hmm. they're like fingerprints and so they would always know which one was ours I wonder if they still do things like that I bet Liam would get a kick out of I think they do. I was somewhere recently and they wanted, oh, when I was at um, Como. Yeah, Como does it. Yeah. Yeah, I should check into that because he loves like tigers I'm, and the big cats. Like that'd be fun I feel adopt. like they definitely do. The last yeah. time I was at the DC Zoo, I'm fairly certain you could adopt like 
zoo animals or like wild animals. Ooh. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm going to look into that. Yeah. I think you'd love that. That was fun. That is a weird transition. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we were, I was doing the thing at work today where I was hanging out with, with our friend. Um, I guess I can say his name when I was hanging out with Chance today <laughs> and we were talking about your trip to Philadelphia. He was asking if you'd enjoyed it and how it was and all that. And I said, yeah, that you had, you'd gone to the museum and it was really creepy. I said, Amanda really wasn't as into it. And I was reading him some of our, our conversations <laughs> that we'd had. And so I, I said something about the wall of skulls and he's like the wall of skulls types it into his computer, pulls it up. And he's like, Oh, there's a wall of skulls. And then so he's looking through it. I was like, and then he's like, that is a huge colon. You saw the huge colon, right? I saw the huge colon. <laughs> was it enormous and insane? Yes. And they had a picture of the guy with the colon still in him. Oh. And he looked deeply uncomfortable. I Yeah. 29 years of constipation or 27 oh, or whatever. Yeah. No. And it, so I don't know if Amanda was pleased by this story or not. But I was telling her that there's been some speculation that Elvis may have had a problem like that, oh. which would kind of explain like the guttiness of his later years. Yeah. And apparently he just had horrible constipation problems. But th- I mean, that could also be like the opioids. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, yeah. But the other thing, too, that they I think it was on the sign uh, by the enormous colon was that people with that particular condition often die on yeah. the pooper. yeah. Which Elvis 100% did. Yeah. So not that that's... And the giant colon guy too, right? That's where they found so, yeah. him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're not going to know. I don't think anybody's going to go looking for that. But yeah. Interesting. But yeah. Huh. It's just, it kept... So we really learned two things at this museum. Um, one is that... And this is the thought I have pretty often. Like, there are so many things that can go wrong. Like, I'm amazed any of us make it, like, to birth or adulthood or anything. Yes. And syphilis really tried to take out the human race. Syphilis (laughs) is insane. It is holy balls. Yeah. Like, I swear, like, half of the exhibits were about things syphilis had done to people. Yikes. So, so nasty. Thanks, antibiotics. Yeah, we were talking about the colon, and I I didn't know its backstory. I knew, I think you had mentioned it, or Amanda had, one of you had mentioned mm. that you'd seen it, and um, I was like, oh, is that the guy that ate everything? He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, you know, the guy that ate, like, oh, the everything. Plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, um, no, but then I got to explain that and tell him about all the things that, oh, God, what is his name? It's not falafel, but it reminds me of the word falafel. (laughs) I'm fairly certain we did an episode on him and they like thought that he maybe ate a baby and like all of that. Didn't he just have like horrible pika? Um, Well, and also some weirdness with his digestive tract because he didn't gain weight. Like he wasn't hugely obese or anything, but he could eat an enormous quantity of food and like inedible things and it would just go right through no problem and he couldn't fill himself up and I think it was like um something wrong with what is it your oh, hypothalamus but it, also something um, with his intestines oh no I was thinking Cushing's disease but that does make you like you can gain weight with that but you just don't ever feel full I think it's part of it yeah there was something with him 
And then they also speculated, and I'm just I'm trying to remember, like, this has been so long ago. But I think that they also speculated that his eating habits contributed to, like, how easily things would just go right through him. Oh, sure. And so then it was no big deal for him to eat things that were not edible, like bricks. And he would mm. do it as sort of a sideshow kind of thing. And Yeah, why not? Yeah. So... Anyway, well, that's I am I'm jealous and I'm sad that you weren't allowed to take pictures, although there are tons of pictures online. There are tons so, of pictures online. Well, that is very cool. Next time you go on a cool, creepy field trip, you have to go with me. OK. OK. Deal. Okay. How was your week? It was good. It was busy. I did not go see any murdery things. Hmm. I did. We did almost blow up the house. You were here for that. Though. I was here for that. Yeah. We had a gas smell that was unexplained. Mm-hmm. So we could still potentially at any moment blow up. I did something else Probably this not. week. What? I, I very quickly got over the gas story and now I'm on to the next. <laughs> <laughs> I bought us a mascot and her Yay! name is Mirabelle Claire. (laughs) She's very cute. She is so cute. There are, by this point, pictures of her all over social media. Yes. Um, But she has a creepy little house, and she is delightful, and mostly she's a mascot because I need an excuse, but also she lives in the podcast room with her skull house. So, Diana, did you learn anything this week? I did. Oh, she's so excited. I've been so excited about this all week. I'm excited. I learned mm-hmm. that geese yeah. make good guard animals. Oh, I bet they would. They do. But I wouldn't want one. <laughs> so first of all, apparently they have better eyesight than humans. Really? And they can pick out strange movements, but they're also territorial. Right, right. So if anybody goes into their space, they make loud noises to frighten them off. Right. But that same thing makes them unable to be bribed because if you, like, you know, the trip about, like, you bring a steak for the dog yeah. and it shuts the dog up. Yeah. If you bring a treat for the geese, they get all excited and make all sorts of noise and start flapping and shit. Oh, and it alerts yeah. their owners that there's something going on. Huh. Wow. Okay. So do you want to hear about some other animals yes. that make good guards? Yes. Donkeys? Really? Yeah. They just like... <laughs> that's, that's not the right noise. Have you ever played donkey basketball? Donkey ball? You ride donkeys around and try to make baskets in the gymnasium? Is that not a thing here? No. Oh, it's like a... Sp- <laughs> The school I worked at did donkey ball every year. Doesn't that fuck up the gym floor? You're not even supposed to wear hard shoes in there. They they have little donkey shoes. Wait. Yeah, they I have I need like, to revise my, uh, what I learned this week. <laughs> Donkeys can have shoes, you guys. Well, they're like rubber, um, like horseshoes, but like rubber. No. Yeah, and then they... They, you put all the teachers on the donkeys and they ride around the gym and try to make baskets and they fall off a lot. And donkeys are like total assholes. Yeah. And they, they to some extent, train the donkeys to be total assholes so yeah. that they'll, you know, make it more fun. But yeah, there's like a donkey ball, like, business where they take the donkeys around and let people play donkey ball. Damn it. Things just come <laughs> up with the craziest things. I have great photographs. Oh my God. I'm going to see those later. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Donkeys. Alligators. Llamas. Really? Yeah. They're also mean. Yeah. They can be very mean. Wolves. So kind of like a dog. Kind of. Dolphins. That would be inconvenient. 
depending on where you lived. Right. And sea lions. So very also, limited use there. Yeah. Crocodiles. Mm. Snakes. How could a snake make a good guard animal? It sounded mostly for fear. And then, it, so this was a listicle, obviously. Right. Um, Mostly for fear, but they also told a story about some guy that had, I forget what kind of snake, but like big, scary snake mm-hmm. and like came out to confront the intruder, like with the snake, like I have a snake. Like if somebody came at me with a snake, I'd be gone. I'd be like, I want to pet it. <laughs> oh man. That's funny. Yeah. I just, I am, I have been delighted all week thinking about geese, geese just being making a ruckus and yeah. somebody running away. And they are scary. They are way bigger than you think they should be. They really are. And they're mean. They are. And, and they, they have teeth. Or wait, is that yeah. swans? No, they do. Geese okay. definitely hiss and bite and all yeah. of that. Yeah. The swans are also assholes. Yeah. And they have penises. And that's creepy. Really? Yes. Yep. Geese. I don't know that that's going to make me get geese, though. Probably not. They also poop everywhere. Oh, and it's gross. Yeah. 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 Um, also, as we established in a previous episode, I live in a really safe spot, so I probably and don't need a goose. I feel like geese would be how you get your neighbors to hate you. 100%. Geese and <laughs> roosters. Well, you can't have those in town. I don't know what the laws are around geese. Hmm. I mean, I feel like with a goose, there could always be plausible deniability as long as you don't stick a collar on it. Like, it just <laughs> won't leave. Now I'm picturing a goose with a collar. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I'm fairly certain you would, like, put a little leg band on if you were actually going to tag a Actually, I know for a fact that's how you no, tag a goose. No, no, no. A little but like, like the bow ties you get for Oliver. <laughs> yes. Oh, a goose in a bow tie would be amazing. So Especially cute. a Canada goose mm-hmm. in a bow tie. Yeah. Yep. Very cute. Yeah. So, Erin. Yes. Did you learn anything this week? I did. So, my thing that I learned is crime-related. Okay. I mean, reasonable. Yeah. It is crime-related because I've been watching a lot of HLN, because that's where Forensic, Fi- Forensic Files comes on. What's HLN? It's a, it's a TV station. Okay. I don't know. It's That's where Forensic Files comes on. Fair enough. <laughs> so, anyway. They have a new show coming out, and it's called How It Really Happened. It's not out yet, but they play the commercials every 30 seconds. Right. So some of the commercials are fine. Uh, There's one with Ted Bundy on it, and it's like, oh, yeah, I want to watch that. Then there's another one where he starts listing off the footprints, the fingerprints, the blood splatter. And I'm like, I can't take you seriously anymore because it is not splatter. So I had to make sure that I was right, and I am. So what I learned this week is that the difference between splatter and spatter is mostly a volume thing. Okay. Um, Sometimes it's a part of speech thing. So when you're talking about blood that you have found somewhere and you're going to use it as as evidence, that is always spatter. Yeah. And spatter usually refers to like small amounts of blood. So not a, or small amounts of whatever liquid. Whereas splatter is an action. Like you can splatter. You, mm. So they are both actions. They are both nouns. But in general, when we use them, especially related to forensics, it's spatter for the evidence on the wall where you're going to look at directionality and all of that other stuff, which is sometimes kind of questionable. Um, 
and it is splatter if like you get sprayed by a bus driving through a puddle and that's not the same thing so it bothers me very much so much so that every time I am tempted to like go online and write and be like look I think your idea is great however (laughs) it probably was not I mean it's probably even scripted correctly I can't imagine that was not scripted correctly Uh, and they probably just read it wrong but either way drives me insane so that is what I learned this week. Um, when I was in college. Uh-huh. So, uh, I don't know if you know this about me. My hair is not its natural color. I, I do <laughs> know that about you, actually, because I have heard lots of stories. Yeah, so I, I dye my hair. I've dyed it red since college. Where I went to college, the dorms had group showers. Okay. And then they each had like one little room. I knew where this is going. (laughs) One little room with a tub. Uh huh. And so when I would dye my hair, I'd go into the tub room because otherwise I'm sitting in a group shower for 30 minutes waiting for my hair to set. Right. It's fucking weird. Right. So I also wear glasses. And this is before I had LASIK. So I was very, very, very blind. So I went in the shower or the tub room one day and I dyed my hair. And I thought I had cleaned it up really well, but I apparently had not. So my friend Michelle was a law enforcement major. Uh-huh. And the next morning, in the morning, she comes pounding on my door. She's like, Diana, 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 what? She's like, I think a crime was committed in the bathtub room. And I was like, oh, my God, tell me about this. And she starts describing <laughs> the patterns. And it's red, but it's dried, so it's rusty. And I'm like, um... I dyed my hair in there last night. She's like, I know the difference between hair tie and blood. I'm like, I don't think you do. No. <laughs> Fairly certain that's not blood. It was pretty great, though. Awesome. She had it all down. Like, she knew what had happened. Like, the head had hit the tub, and then there was this... this. <laughs> it was really great. <laughs> You're like, so... <laughs> so about that, notice how I don't have roots. <laughs> right, right. Also, now questioning the validity of... <laughs> Right, right. There was um, a Colte Veritatis just did, I think it was maybe a two-parter on how a lot of forensic evidence is just flawed, including. Yes. Yeah. I haven't listened to it yet. Somebody else did one too. It might have been Wine and Crime. I think maybe they had an expert on or something and did an interview, but it it was very much the same thing where it was like, and a lot of it was not even so much that it's flawed or it's not real, but it was, it's not scientifically proven. It wasn't like we tested it and everything else. It was more that we accepted as truth because some judge accepted it as truth. So right. now legally. Legal truth versus yeah. truth, truth. Right. And maybe it's fine, but. but we don't know. We don't know. When it's hard to test that terribly well. For some of them, definitely. Other ones like bite marks, and which is widely discredited like right. that would be easy to scientifically test without like telling someone right but if you want to know you know back to my hair dying if you know somebody did hit their head on the side of the tub and like you can't take a you know 150 pound woman right 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 some facsimile of her but not not probably a real human being yeah probably not that's not no. cool um, I learned one other thing Ooh. accidentally. Um, 
because I was researching and I came across this story that was not enough of a story to tell, but it led to an interesting fact, which is that in Virginia on the books, you know how there are always weird laws that like mm. got put on there for whatever reason and now they still are. One of them is that you are not allowed to wear a mask in an attempt to disguise your identity. Fair. Right. Which is a law that is broken all the time. I feel like there needs to be another phrase. Yes. <laughs> During the commission of a crime. Right. When questioned by the police. Something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So the reason that that came to light or whatever is because uh, apparently there was some guy and he was like walking down the street and he was acting kind of strangely. He had his face painted kind of clown like. And um, he a juggalo. No, he had a giant sword he was swinging around. No. Yeah. And so they couldn't arrest him. He was essentially, it was like a cosplay kind of thing. Mm. Um, and they couldn't arrest him. But I guess they arrested him on the charge of wearing a mask to hide oh. his identity. Just like as an excuse, right? Like throw mail fraud on there. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. It's in there somewhere. Yeah, that's the one that I was telling our our office manager today ah. behind my hand so that you couldn't see. <laughs> Man, it's getting bad. <laughs> so, that is what I learned. Cool, Aaron. Yeah. Do you have a story for me? I have such a story for you. I have been getting foreshadowing all day. <laughs> oh my god! So I printed it out, Ooh. and it's four pages. Wow, you're going all Diana style. Well, no, not so much. So usually I will put it in a Word document, like copy and paste and drop and write notes and then reorganize it and then write it in my journal. And I didn't have time to write it in my journal. Gotcha. So not 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 intentionally organized. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's going to be very paper crinkly. That's okay. All right. So I have a story for you. I tried very hard. So God, I tried to find the crime that embodies crime crazy. And I think I've done it. Ooh. Right? This is the craziest thing I've ever heard. It sounds <laughs> fake. I know earlier I told you that it sort of sounded like if kids wrote a murder mystery, mm-hmm. but like if they were 12 and drunk, <laughs> that is sort of how this feels. And that's a little bit what happened. I am so intrigued. I am so excited to tell you this story. But I will preface it by saying that it is like a, it's not a fun story, but it's kind of a fun story because it is bizarre. It is also sad. And there's like some, some major mental health issues, which I think is kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of crimes. Right. But, um, and that part is super sad. So I don't want to make too light of it, but at the same time, like amazing story. So here we go. It's not heartwarming, is it? Oh God, no. Okay. We're all good then. <laughs> so this is a story of two boys, Mark and John. Their names are not Mark and John, but they are both minors, so that is what they have been named. Okay. They are also British, um, and one of the other things that I both learned and know nothing about is about how much control the government and like the legal system has over what can be printed in the press, mm-hmm. and which I, I realized was you know more stringent than what we have, but apparently like considerably so and so this story took a really long time to fully develop because things were so hidden and apparently you can actually go find the unredacted names of at least one of these boys because it was originally published somewhere and has since been redacted but I did not do that because they're kids they're not kids now 
actually, they are not that much younger than I am now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Assuming they're both still alive or whatever. Because this took place in like 2004 or 5, I think. I'll get to it. It's in my notes. So, John. John is kind of our main character. Um, He was 14 and 15 during this time period. He's brilliant. Just absolutely, I, I think probably like genius level, like one of those kids that we would have read about in the paper no matter what mm-hmm. kind of kid. Um, he is obviously not actually called John. He is a very, he's sort of dark complected, dark hair, maybe a little bit Asian, um, which we'll get to in a minute why I say that. <laughs> he's an insanely gifted storyteller, very persuasive, very creative. He is an only child of working class parents, or at least working class mother and other something. Um, at very respectful, polite, definitely college bound before this incident. Um, so John, when he was really young, one of the articles I read said like four or five, but that did not ring true being the mom of the five-year-old. But anyway, he discovered, basically he found like a picture of him or something and it had a different last name or some weirdness. He discovered that his dad, the guy that lived in his house and was married to his mom, wasn't his dad. that he had had another father and mom told him that bio dad was extremely abusive had physically and sexually and emotionally abused her um at one point had apparently kidnapped him and um and so she had gotten away from him and now she was married to stepdad well according to john at least not like verified anywhere stepdad really into drugs Mm. so like just shitty then when he was seven his stepdad left and so all of a sudden mom had nothing like no means whatsoever they had to move to a smaller apartment it was really awful she was really depressed um i think she had lots of emotional and and probably like mental health issues he apparently at that point and i don't know if this was a thing that continued but even at seven like experimented with cutting and like Mm -hmm. just i mean he's a little kid um at school, he didn't do well because he was super, super smart, but he was bullied by a lot of kids. Mm. Uh, he only had friends that were girls, and so people would call him gay, which is <sighs> not ironic. He he was gay, um, but not, you know, at seven. Well, I mean, yes, at seven, but he didn't probably like boys or girls at seven. Yeah, so. everybody had cooties. Right. Um, and he also got a bunch of racial slurs because he looked... Asian um and so he always suspected that his biological father was maybe like Indian or something um he also had some other things and they didn't say that he was diagnosed with OCD and depression and paranoia but he definitely had like super rigid I guess rituals but like around getting dressed Mm -hmm. and habits and like how things had to be laid out and what order things had to happen um and also structure but over time (laughs) um also really paranoid that everyone was always talking about him and that his mom who eventually uh, ended up with another another man I don't know if they got married they were talking about him behind closed doors everyone around him was always saying which I mean 
he had been pretty badly bullied. So probably that was part experience, but also over the top. Also, your parents are definitely talking about you behind closed doors. It's what they talk about. (laughs) Well, right. But he would like sneak out of bed and listen at the door all night long to hear, you know, just really, really unhealthy. So he had a, a super sad childhood, which explains some of his upcoming behavior. Mark, on the other hand, was 16 when the story starts, so a couple years older. Uh, They didn't live, like, in the same district or anything, but they were relatively close geographically. He was not as smart as John (laughs) at all, and he was very trusting. He was, like, the opposite in look, so he was very pale, very blonde, tall, thin. Um, John thought he was just beautiful and mm. but the author of one of the articles I was reading basically said that he was really homely like so I don't know like John was really homely or the other that guy? Mark was okay he was very easily tricked he was into sports he was a average to above average student when he was 16 um girl crazy girls all around all the time so uh around the time that he was a young teenager, John's mother bought him a computer to help with homework. And he took the computer into his room and he became obsessed. <laughs> and one of the things he was really obsessed with, because this is the early 2000s, were chat rooms. <laughs> oh, God. Uh-huh. That's sort of where my, one, my mind went to. MSN chat rooms, to be specific. What, what MSN. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Oh, so, man, I was all over the yeah me too so that is where they met originally what happened was so John was also a very lonely kid because you know he had some friends that were female but he didn't have any male friends whatsoever and he always felt bullied he was very paranoid so he didn't do well with people Um, and so in this chat room he created another persona Rachel And Rachel was John's sister or stepsister. She was a little bit older. And he would go into the room. And as Rachel, he met Mark. And they clicked. Like, just instant connection. And then later he went in as himself, as Rachel's little brother. And they clicked. And just instant connection. It was wonderful. So was Rachel a real person? Rachel's not a real person. Okay. Totally fabricated. Gotcha. But Mark, who is a 16-year-old girl crazy boy, started to fall in love with Rachel. Of course. Yes. Well, they lived close enough together that he wanted to meet Rachel. And this was a big problem because Rachel did not exist. (laughs) So John had to do something to stop them from meeting up without giving himself away because he didn't want to lose his relationship with Mark because he was, you know already like kind of crushing on him like he had a friend there was a connection so this thing happened and so at this point I feel like okay I totally get how you got there (laughs) (laughs) to totally steal your phrase but uh then it got out of control so he started to make up other characters and storylines And at some point, there were at least six other characters of varying ages, men and women, and they were insanely convincing. 
Um, so much so that later when it became an issue that police needed to investigate, they were not for a very long time aware that one kid had made up all of these personas and they were trying to figure out who these people were. Wow. So they were all different ages. He could change his language to match the different characters. So one of them was like a 44-year-old woman who was like... um, you know, very proper and whatever, and totally convincing. Wow. He could he could be that voice, and then he could go back and be himself. So these characters would come in, and they all talked to Mark. Wait, the, wait, wait, wait. As a forty three year old woman, first of all, not sure I pull that off successfully all the time. But why am I talking to a sixteen year old? Oh, <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, that's why this took four pages to write up. Holy moly! <laughs> all right. So here are the characters. Lindsay East, Rachel East, not related. Kevin McGregory, Dave McNeil, Janet Dobison, and then of course Rachel and John. Whatever he he went by his real name. Right. Uh, they were a girl in distress, a home oh, and Kevin, I forgot Kevin, a homosexual blackmailer slash stalker. A genial schoolboy, a top spy, a rapist, a murderer. Yeah. Wow. The characters would come in and the way that he wove his story, basically one of them would say something that might not be quite believable. And then at some point, somebody else would loop around and they would confirm it in some way that made it like, okay, that was totally implausible, but it has to be true. Just amazing. I want the history of this chat room and I want it to be a novel that I can read because it sounds fascinating. Uh, When the police analyst looked at it far later... She said she couldn't find one mistake or misstep in the entire thing. That being said, there were two two things that we'll talk about later that were kind of mistakes or missteps, but more like one of them was a mistake. The other one was maybe a little intentional. Okay. So the story that he started with was that John and Rachel were being stalked by Kevin who was this man who was very dangerous. Apparently, he was like a self-proclaimed stalker. He was homosexual. Um, He wanted to, like, track them down and hurt them or kidnap them or do something horrible to them. And um, somehow, that I was not entirely clear on, in order to prevent this happening, one of the things Mark could do to help, because he also spoke to Kevin. Kevin would get on the chat room and talk to him, that... If he would perform certain sexual acts, like mostly masturbation, on camera, then that would keep Kevin, I guess, happy and distracted. And he would not threaten John and Rachel at that time. So he did. I feel like that's not sustainable. No. Well, and even though he did, and Rachel found out about it at some point, was apparently like, oh, you don't have to do that for me, blah, blah, blah. Like, they all popped in and out and had their own personalities. And um, even though that happened, Rachel then vanished. And Kevin himself came in to tell the sad story of her demise, that he had abducted her, taken her to, I think, his apartment, bunch of friends had essentially gang raped and murdered her oh my god yes and i'm gonna read this to you with the intention of probably cutting it out but um 
when he told Mark about it, he told it in graphic detail of what he had done. He said, we kicked her in the stomach, put her head underwater, then out freezing cold. And she stained my sheets when she was bleeding. You weren't there for her. However much she screamed for you. Yeah. Oh my God. At that point, teachers and parents noticed Mark's grades drop significantly and he was having a rough time. Sure. At the same time, John, who was now there to console his friends, even though his sister was the one that was murdered, um, fell head over heels for Mark. But in a weird, obsessive, unhealthy way. Right. I mean, obviously, already weird, obsessive, and unhealthy at this point. All, all sorts wrong. Yeah. Um, he, Mark never told any adults anything. So this, this had happened. It was a secret. He never, ever told. Uh. So Mark was so depressed and just distraught over losing his girlfriend. I mean, online they exchanged like, I love you and blah, blah, blah. Just very, very much in a relationship that John decided that he probably needed to do something to, to help ease this a little bit. So a new character entered, Lindsay East. Mark liked her and they became closer than John would like. So she died. She was killed off by the British government, at which point Mark is even more distraught. So Rachel comes back from the dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> tells Mark that she has returned from being in a coma, that she had not died, even though everyone thought she had died. She was actually just in a coma this whole time. I don't know how you mess that up, but whatever. Also, how does your brother not know that you are just in a coma and not dead? It gets worse. She had, while in a coma, given birth to Mark's baby, despite the fact they'd never actually met in person. But Mark seemed okay with this. That's, 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 that's not how that works. That's not how that works. I can, like, think up potential weird, twisted stories that you could tell. I don't, I don't know how this kid didn't see through all of this were they, were they in one of those abstinence only states perhaps <laughs> <laughs> um but then she disappears again and there's not any explanation or horrible thing that happens to her like then she had to go away again so the article i was reading said so suddenly and i'll just quote this the postman the ice cream man teachers drivers were all revealed to be secret agents checking to see if mark might be smart enough to join their ranks nothing was impossible if mark played his cards right wrote john by ne by may next year you'll be a millionaire so the British government at some point is involved in all of this and there are a bunch of spies and this danger that Rachel was in and like her her death but not death but maybe death was all part of this elaborate plot um and they were scoping out Mark to see if he was going to be trustworthy enough to join their ranks but that was also why John and Rachel were in so much danger because they were already embroiled in this drama I feel like I'm drunk I'm telling you I read <laughs> this story so many times trying to get the the oh thing straight. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so there were some issues with the story, obviously. Wait, wait what? I know. 
the names, the last names were problematic. There were characters that shared the same last name that weren't related. There were characters that were supposed to be siblings that didn't share the last name, which I assume would maybe be John and Rachel. Um, and then lots of strange things happened, like the whole coma and the, all of that kept kept going on. But there was one character who was more important than all the rest. And her name was Dobinson. Her last name was Dobinson. Mm-hmm. And she was the 44-year-old woman who was also a spy. So around the time that Dobinson made her debut, um, the boys actually met in person. And one day, John skipped school, and somehow his mom found out where he was, and he had been at Mark's house all day. Well, this is this, John's 14, Mark's 16, they live far apart, he's a straight-A student, college-bound, whatever, like, as far as she knows, everything is great. Right. Um, And now she's hanging out with this older boy and skipping school, so she was really concerned. So she insisted on meeting Mark's parents, and they met, and which I guess Mark never said, God, I'm sorry about your daughter, like... I can't wrap my mind around this. Right. But she also looked into John's laptop and found out that they had been spending a ton of time online together. And also there was this strange 44-year-old woman named Dobinson who seemed to be having a lot of contact with her son and claimed to know the queen. And so she took the computer away. She disconnected the modem. She kept the computer in her room. Didn't slow John down at all. He waited till she fell asleep every night. Went and got it. Hooked it back up. Had his little online world. (laughs) Put it back before she woke up. Like, it didn't even slow him down. So, she decided that, you know, maybe the boys' relationship, like, she didn't understand it, but maybe they were okay. They seemed really close. So, she invited Mark over for a sleepover. And... At some point, which I assume that she and the other parents found out, um, John and Mark were upstairs in his room watching porn, having oral sex. She was not good with that. Sleepovers were banned. Also, Dobinson was banned. As you should do if you're a mother who discovers your 14-year-old's hanging out with a a woman online. Um, So that didn't stop either of them from talking to Dobinson in chat rooms and... At this point, Dobinson told Mark that John was in some trouble. He had a massive, very quickly growing tumor in his brain. Mm. And also in his brain was the ability to enter and access an underwater safe that no one else could physically get into that contained billions of dollars worth of jewels. Did you slip me something? And because of these billions of dollars worth of jewels and a tumor and some sort of weird brain imprinting technology, (laughs) Mark was going to need to kill John. Oh, boy. For this task, he was going to be rewarded about 80 million pounds, sexual favors from the 44-year-old woman. This is not from the queen. <laughs> not from the queen, however. Um, a career in as a spy. You don't need that if you have 80 million pounds. Apparently, it was still really exciting. Um, with a contract, that like, like a signed contract, so they wouldn't be able to take that away from him. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the EU. They have worker protections. <laughs> <laughs> 
And he would be meeting personally with a very grateful Prime Minister Tony Blair. I mean, that would be cool. Right. So he was given a number, 47695, which was apparently like the official documentation or order or something to go kill his friend. Alrighty. So that was a little upsetting and Mark was not totally on board, although she had asked him if... If the need arose, would he be able to kill someone? And he had answered he thought he could. Um, and then she she made him, like, promise that he could before telling him that it was his friend. Well, I feel like, you know, if you asked me, could I kill if it came down to it? I mean, I think I could. Right. But in the situation, not 100% sure I could. Right. Um, but so Mark was a little leery, hesitant. So John got on and said, hey, Mark. So you remember when I was all depressed a couple of weeks ago? Well, I went to the doctor. I had a brain scan. It turns out I've got this huge tumor growing in my brain. Like, Uh. it's really bad. Nothing about the save. Nothing about kill me, blah, blah, blah. Just, like, confirmed it. So I imagine that's kind of how all the conversations went. We're like, you know, let me jump in here. Pretend I know nothing about this person that has just talked to you. And, like, say something so that you'll... So I think he really was pretty persuasive and pretty masterful with all of that yeah. even though listening to the story without living it throughout periods of months it's like come on yeah, but that's the same as any kind of i mean not i mean i guess this was an abusive situation but and catfishing <laughs> well right but you get used to that like yes you build up to if he yes. just you know dropped right in and like i have a massive brain tumor i'm involved in government spy activities this woman knows the queen like Bullshit, I'm out. Right. You, you know, build and build and build. Yep. Start with a fake 16-year-old sister who could totally be real. Yeah. And then now here we are. So John did have a little hesitation himself about being killed because he was ordering his own murder. Right. Uh, and so he gave him, just in case, an abort code. It is a four-digit number, but it is actually a two-digit number repeated twice. Do you want to make a guess what the 14, 15-year-old boy used as his two-digit abort code? If it's not 69, I'm going to be real disappointed. 69, 69. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so I wrote their conversation in here, and I won't read it to you, but basically the gist of it, although we might have to post part of it because it is such fantastic early 2000s like chat room speak Mm. that it is hard to look at it like (laughs) it's a visceral reaction um but basically he said so wait you want me to kill him and she was like yeah and i should just like stab him and walk away like what are you thinking (laughs) that's how you do it gone (laughs) yeah well no but she said no i want you to take him to a quiet place um, I want you to use a knife and a glove, um, and I want you to stab him and then stay with him, and then call the police and say you'd been attacked. Oh. Yep. Um, he asked her, he didn't know where to buy a knife, so she had to tell him where to go buy a knife, like, to murder his friend. Then she changes her mind, and she's like, wait, 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 no, don't, don't buy a glove. It's okay if you get your fingerprints on the knife, you'll just say it was when you were pulling it out. And he was like, well, but there will only be one set of fingerprints on it. She's like, yeah, but the other guy wore a glove. Like, all these little details, right? So the other thing that she said, um, she said, you know, you love him, right? He said, of course. She said, you have to let him know that. As you stab him, you have to let him know that you love him. Um, Yeah. So 
he was concerned about what would happen after and how all this would go down. And she said, oh, it's no big deal. Like, I impersonate people all the time. When you get to the police station, when the police bring you in to give a witness statement, I'll be there. And I'll be like the head chief, blah, 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 like the person in charge. And I will come get you. You'll be released. You'll, you know, meet the grateful prime minister. You'll get all this money, blah, blah, blah. So they go to the alley. John is pretending not to know any of this. Mark tells him he loves him. He said, this is also a quote from him. He said, this is what John told the police. Yeah, this is what John told the police. Uh, Mark did it once, stood up, holding me, did it again. He was kneeling on me saying, trust me, holding the knife to my stomach. There was blood coming out. Um, then he got dragged to his feet again, stabbed him again. John screamed, call an ambulance. I'm dying. And Mark said to him, shh, people will hear. Please be quiet. And he said, you've killed me. He said, don't say that, begged Mark. Don't let that be the last thing you're saying. So after 20 minutes of holding his bleeding friend, so he stabbed him once in the chest, which was not very deep, and then he stabbed him in his stomach. He had ended up having to have um, like major surgery. He died a couple times on the operating table. Basically, his stomach filled with blood, and then he couldn't breathe. Sure. He was on a respirator for days, even when he, he survived. And even when he was conscious and able to speak again, he asked for a psychiatrist and like couldn't get one. He was put on a waiting list. Oh my God. And so like this kid obviously needed help way before this. Right. So after 20 minutes, he called the police. He told the police that some guy early 20s-ish, wearing a black hooded jacket, black jeans, had come in and stabbed the stabbed his friend just they they put out an all points bulletin they wrote articles in the paper like this was a big thing um however things didn't quite line up and they went back and looked at there was a closed circuit camera that filmed the entrance of the alley which was a dead end the only people who went in were john and mark Uh so they knew that it had to be him and they ended up arresting him At that point, they looked back through some of the internet logs. They tried to figure out what was going on because there were all of these characters who were obviously different people. And they were trying to determine for three months if this was a bunch of like school bullies who had banded together and created like it was obviously fake. But like, who was it that was that was faking him out? Was it like some sort of. I don't know, group of like popular kids or something that were like trying to get him to do something bad. Was it like actually adults? Was it something where they were trying to lure the boys away and maybe it was like a a ring of, of pedophiles or abductors or whatever. Um, There were over 190 email addresses registered to all of these different characters. They had to sort through all that shit. They were all John's. Oh my gosh. They questioned Mark about it. And he he said that he did it because he heard voices. And they were like, okay, that's bullshit. Go back to jail. Send him back to jail. Right. At one point, they arrested a woman because she shared a name with one of the characters. Poor girl had no clue what they were talking about. Oh, my gosh. So they let her go. The weird thing was Mark obviously believed all of this very strongly to some degree. But he never asked to see Dobinson. Never spoke about Tony Blair, never asked to get paid, never asked to be released. So, like, what? What happened? What went through his head that he believed it so much he would kill his best friend, but then 
didn't expect to see it like followed through. Right. Eventually it came down to a couple of things in one line, one night, shortly after Rachel had come back and then disappeared again, John as another character wrote, would you be mad if you found out that I was pretending to be Rachel back from the dead? And apparently that got just totally overlooked by everybody and was not a big deal. But like he kept having these little bits of like remorse or concern or like second guessing oh. himself. The other thing was he used a word that he created and he used it for multiple characters, John and Kevin and Dobinson and Lindy, Lindsay. So like most of the characters. And it was my by M-Y-B-Y-E instead of maybe. And they determined it was an intentional spelling, like his mm. own little thing. But he had accidentally used it for a bunch of characters. Oh. When they when they looked into that and they noticed that Dobinson, who was the one they were the most concerned about, had used it, they started really looking into who she was. And they tracked some of her activity and found out that she had been posting from John's computer. And she had been the last one logged on before the attempted murder and mm. that she had been logged on at least once when he had been the only one in his house, but he had definitely been home. Mm. So they arrested John um, for attempted solicitation of a murder of himself. Ooh. And the judge, even when the, the lawyers came and they were like, so we're going to charge him with murder. And he's like, of who? Well, himself. He's like, that is bizarre, right. <laughs> but let it go. So, the really tragic part, more tragic part, is that nobody told Mark all of this stuff until court. Oh. So the first time that he heard what all went into it and that it had all been John all along was in court when his lawyers were pleading the case and saying, oh. here's why we're bringing charges against him. And or the prosecution was saying, here's why we're bringing charges against John. And like, here's why he's less culpable. Um, and he was shocked and stunned. Yeah. So both boys pled guilty. Mark to attempted murder. He was given two years supervised or supervision order. He was not allowed to have any contact with John. He was not allowed to have access to the internet unless there was an adult supervising. He could never go in a chat room again. John was given three years of a supervision order. So both basically parole or um, probation. Thank you. Banned from any contact with Mark. Also not allowed to get on the internet. Um, he was he pled guilty to perverting the course of justice and incitement to murder. I'm sorry, perverting the course of justice. Yeah, <laughs> I love the UK. Um, so Mark's response when he heard all of this had happened was, "I've been a fool." John later talking about tricking his friend was sort of of two minds on the one hand he talked extensively about how trapped he felt by the whole world yeah. that had gotten out of his control and there was that that was his whole life he had nothing he had even in so this all happened in june of 2003 back in march he had basically shut himself in his room and stopped eating mm. and like was wasting away just totally obsessed with this world and there was no way he could get out of it without dying like that was his whole identity on the other hand, he said that that 
tricking Mark that telling him all of these things and persuading them that they were real was a lot like he thought like giving someone heroin or it was like feeding a dog and it was just super easy and he just ate it right up that is horrifying from a person of that age yeah so since then both boys are done with, I mean, long done with everything. Um, the last little bit that I could find about John, he, his mother said that he had a girlfriend. He told his therapist, he finally got a therapist. Good. Told his therapist he, he didn't like her, that he told her all kinds of lies about his life and that he wasn't sure whether or not she believed them because maybe she had an internet connection and could check. Um, and if he even like hears or talks about Mark at all, it's just absolutely devastating to him. He can't even think Mm. about that part of his life. Um, And he does not seem at all to have changed like how he feels about himself or how he feels about lying. Uh. Any of that. I think that is the strangest story I've ever heard and does not seem like it could possibly be real. No, that is insane. Right. Oh my god. I bet Mark is just destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. I the the part about the sister and like because I read a little bit of their conversation too. Most of the chat logs are are available. Like you can oh, read wow. large portions of them. Oh, that was the other thing that I didn't say. Their chat logs, fifty-eight thousand lines of text were pulled to be read and like scrutinized. Mm -hmm. That was a fraction of what there was. The data that they pulled from the two computers was 133 gigabytes. Oh my God. Right? That was unheard of back then. Yeah. And some of it was webcam, right? Sure. So there was definitely some video. I don't like, I guess a lot of it was stored on MSN servers and stuff. So it wasn't like they had to have that kind of storage, but yeah, 133 gigs of months of just talking and... Oh my Spinning gosh. these insane stories. Once again, I am not smart enough to be a criminal. Oh my god, not like that. No. I can't imagine anybody is. I barely keep a handle on who I am. Right? <laughs> well, I don't I really don't think I could be two people. No. And I know. Mm-hmm. I know I could not be six or seven people. No. Uh-uh. Not with backstories and conversations and Right. No. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, I think that might be the craziest crime in the whole world. I think you might be right. <laughs> that is insane. Wow. I, I, I am speechless. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. I definitely read it a bunch of times. Because the first couple times I read it, like, it, it started as a listicle thing. And then I found an article. But then I found a second article. But it was just a copy of the first one. And it was really hard to look for because... The names aren't real. There are no last names. Yeah. Um, the judge's last name was given in one of the articles. And so I was able to find the longer one with more detail. And and we'll post that one. I've got that one definitely on here. Yeah. And, oh, my God. First of all, it was beautifully written. Oh. Um, like, the person who wrote it was very, very talented. And, like, it read like a novel. But also just insane. It is. Yeah. So. Wow. One of the lines from one of the articles was like, so this is basically Romeo and Juliet, so it had to end. Like, it's a love story. It has to end in death. 
Well, every ghost story is a love story. Mm-hmm. So, that's my story. Holy shit! <laughs> I uh, speechless. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that is the other reason why it did not get written up in my notebook because there was no way that was going in. <laughs> Right. Take up the whole thing. Oh, no, absolutely so. not. Oh, my gosh. So that was my story. Do you have a story for me? I do have a story for you. But first. At the Targeted Podcast, we tell stories of women, men, and children who were targeted by domestic abuse. Some survive. He saw I was no longer playing with them. That's when all hell broke loose. Some die. He carved out a life for himself. It was a life that came to an untimely end. None will ever be the same. She repeatedly asked for help for domestic abuse and found very little. We investigate cases of family violence using academic research to help us interpret the events. I'm a college professor, and I think we need to stop making family violence a secret. It's time to tell our stories, use our experiences to help to heal, and provoke change. You can find targeted true crime domestic violence on iTunes, Google Play, and all the major podcast platforms. I'm Mo Blackwell, the host of Targeted. Peace, my friends. Peace. Do you have a story for me? I do. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Is it gonna be as hard to follow? No, 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 no. But I'm going to tell you, uh, when I was telling Jeff about it this morning, kind of what, what my thought was, because you were saying, and you mentioned this to me earlier today, that this is, your story is kind of the the crime crazy story. Right, right. And I was telling Jeff this morning when I was telling him about my story, that this is like somebody read a textbook of how to do this and then they did all of those things right like it is <laughs> right it is also kind of the stereotypical crime crazy story in that they did like exactly what they were supposed right. to <laughs> right both of the this was a creative writing class and the weird kid wrote my story and the kid that just knows a little bit about crime. right <laughs> exactly all right so here we go jerry michael williams was born near Tallahassee, Florida on October 16th of 1969, and he was known as Mike to his friends. Although I saw a picture of him, he totally looked like Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> he was the youngest of two children. Both of his parents worked. His dad was a Greyhound driver, and his mom was a daycare provider. But um, they, they both made okay money, but they chose to live in a trailer, and they used all of their money to send both of their children to North Florida Christian High School. Very important that they had a a good education. So there, Mike was really successful. He was student council president. He played football. He was active in Key Club. Is that something you had in Virginia? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, When Mike was 15, he began to go duck hunting as a hobby. And he also met the woman that would become his wife, Denise Merrill. Do you think ducks make good guard dogs? I don't know. Do they make a lot of noise if you... They make a lot of noise if they think you're bred. But what if you don't have bread? I don't know. I don't get chased by ducks like I do with geese. (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of like the little fluffy dog, guard dog, instead (laughs) of the Doberman. (laughs) Right. After high school, he went to Florida State University. He majored in political science and urban planning. 
After graduation, he worked as a property appraiser. And he and Denise got married in 1994. He was very successful. Uh, It's reported that by the time of the events that we're about to talk about, he was making about $200,000 a year. So this is, I think, 2000. So he was was making bank. The owner of the company he worked for said that Mike was the hardest working man I ever saw. And although he worked really hard, he also found time to duck hunt. And he would often get up in the morning and go hunting and then go to work. (laughs) Nice. Really dug the duck hunting. Yeah. Mike and Denise had a daughter in 1999. And the following year, his dad died. Hmm. So... This is speculation on my part, but, you know, at this point, he is newly a dad. His dad has just passed away. So he was probably thinking about those sorts of things, as you do. So he and his wife bought a life insurance policy for Mike, valued at a million dollars. So I see your eyebrows raised with, like, Diana, this seems like a lot of money. Yeah. Um. Yes, and. So, again, I was talking to Jeff about this this morning. This guy made $200,000. Right. I don't know. I mean, his wife did work, at, and she worked right. at Florida State. And I, it didn't sound like she was a professor or anything. Right. And it's public college. She's probably not making right. great money. Right. So I started thinking about, like, how we've set up our life insurance. Yeah, it needs to be however many years of... Well, right. And when we set it up... You know, we looked at if I if I died, you know, I want you to be able to pay off the house and send him to school. And if you don't want to work while he's still in school, like, we'll make it so you don't have to work. And, oh, yeah. You yeah. know, all of those things. So when I look at, you know, one, not even one year old daughter. Yeah. A wife that is probably underemployed. Right. A million seems reasonable. It does. Like, uh, not yeah. enough, even as an agent, not enough to raise flags if I looked at the entire situation. That seems reasonable. Right. Yeah, you could definitely maintain your lifestyle for a while right. without having to work real hard. Well, and if you invest it well, you know, pay off yeah. the house, invest, like, you can you can do some good stuff with a million dollars. Yeah. And again, tax-free, too, if they yeah. set it up with a post-tax. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> you care, Diana. We know you care. I do care. I do care. <laughs> it's very smart. They purchased this policy through Brian Winchester. Oh, okay. He was a childhood acquaintance of Denise's, and he had, over time, also become best friends with Mike. Okay. Um, no, again. Well, but again, this is speculation on my part. As a former insurance agent who hung out with other insurance agents, you are, like, advised to practice on your friends. Yeah. So I've definitely had people come over and be like, let's look at your financial situation. Let's look at blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Whether or not I was ever going to buy anything out of them. So, yeah. you know, like, I can... I can see that too. Well, right. And I guess especially if you bought insurance from your friend, like they would get your situation and like your dad's died young. Like, right. He wouldn't blink. No. He'd no. be like, yeah, we can set this up for you. We can set this up for you. Also, the commission on that must have been amazing. <laughs> Doesn't hurt. Although uh, I just feel really worried for Mr. I'm worth a million dollars dead. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> so according to Denise... On the morning of December 16th, 2000, Mike mm-hmm. woke up early to go duck hunting yes. at Lake Seminole. Okay. Um, but he was planning to be home that evening because they were going to celebrate their sixth wedding anniversary. Aww. He never returned. Right. 
I feel like you saw that coming. I yeah, that was actually the the raised eyebrows when you said that he was. <laughs> like, We're talking about Damn, life insurance. He's die. Yeah. <laughs> At around noon that day, Denise called her dad to tell him that Mike had not returned, so he went looking for him. He went looking uh, at the areas of the lake that Mike was known to frequent. Apparently, Lake Seminole is a big lake. It's kind of on the border of Florida and Georgia. Okay. They, uh, his dad, or her dad, rather, her dad did find his car near a remote boat launch on the Florida side of the lake. Okay. They called investigators with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Okay. And they <laughs> began a search, but it had to be called off that evening due to storms. Yep. Because this incident had been reported as a missing hunter, the FFWCC handled the initial search and investigation, and they really focused on the 10 acres around where his truck was found. I mean, that makes total sense. Right. Missing hunter happens, big lake. Right. Florida. You never know. <laughs> Um, so searchers in a helicopter found the boat. Oh. It had Mike's shotgun. Shotgun's still in its case. Oh. The part of the lake that that boat was found in is called Stump Field. Okay. Because that area had previously been an orchard, and then three rivers were dammed, and that's what created the lake. Gotcha. And it was called Stump Field because there's still a bunch of stumps there. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was notable because you had to be really careful when you were in your boat. You had to avoid the stumps. And some of them were under the water lines. You couldn't see them. Right. Searchers initially assumed that Mike had hit a stump with a boat, fallen out, sunk, uh, into waters which in that area are between 8 and 12 feet deep and drowned when his waders filled with water and he was unable to get, get himself out. I, that sounds completely reasonable. What time of year is it? December. December. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but it's, it's still, it's Florida. It's not that cold. I was going to say, like, here in December, that is not a problem because the lake is frozen. Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't <laughs> sink in that. You don't sink in that. You just fall out and go boom. <laughs> so here's something else I don't know. Do Crocker Gators hibernate? Wait for it. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> if we ever get merch, we might just have to have one that says wait, wait for, for it. Wait for it? Yes. No kidding. The search was called off in early February. The case was considered open. Investigators didn't suspect foul play, but they did note that they really didn't have any evidence one way or the other. They didn't have evidence that there was an accident. They didn't right. have evidence that he was dead. Right. He was just MIA. Yeah, just, just totally gone. It was speculated, and this was after the facts. So I don't know if it was, you know, 2020. Right. Um, that the search might have continued if Denise had indicated that she wanted it to. But they looked real hard for six to eight weeks. Yeah. So part of me is like, no, Denise totally is in on whatever is happening here. The other part of me sort of wonders if if this happened, like, after six to eight weeks, you might just want somebody to say, it's over. We're done. There's yeah. nothing more we can find out. Right. Yeah. I could see that. I have a suspicion about how this is going to end. So here's something to note. You know, we have this working theory that he fell out, water filled his waders, he couldn't get himself out, he drowned. Right. If 
this had happened, if this is the way he had died, he would have joined a class of 80 of people who had died in that fashion in that lake. Wow. But he would have been the only one whose body wasn't found. Ah. A private search firm was hired by Mike's mom to provide additional help during the initial search. And they speculated that alligators in the area may have dismembered him and stored the remains in locations that humans were unlikely to find. Sure. Or maybe his body became entangled in the beds of dense hydrilla beneath the lake surface and found by alligators later with turtles and catfish finishing up the leftovers. Oh, absolutely. I, you, I just, I'm a little impressed that everyone else was found. Yeah. 70, I, 80 people. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. If you didn't find them right away, there are a lot of things in Florida that will eat you. Right. Including some people. Well. Just <laughs> not a factor here. <laughs> I will go ahead and give you that. No cannibalism. <laughs> Fair. So in June of 2000, more than six months later, an angler in Stumpfield discovered a pair of waders floating in the lake. Oh. Divers were called in. They did another search of the area, and they recovered a lightweight hunting jacket. December. Lightweight jacket? The hell, people? I, <laughs> I was... Not a full parka and snow pants? And no. <laughs> I was telling another coworker today that I am very nervous about the fact that you guys require coats here. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to get you one of those. I mean, I have one, but it's ridiculous. Yeah, we need to get you another one. <laughs> <laughs> so they recovered a lightweight hunting jacket and a flashlight from the bottom of the lake. In the jacket pocket, there was a hunting license oh. with Mike's name and signature. However, there were no teeth marks. There right. was no damage to the waiters. The recovered items didn't seem like they'd been in the water for six months. Oh, idiots. There was also no DNA evidence that linked the clothing to Mike. Nothing recovered that that could definitively prove that it was his. I mean, if if they looked like they'd been in the water for that long, then I would be cool with that. But that's a problem. So our suspicions are now raised. Yeah. But this this new evidence, the waiters and the jacket and the flashlight, was enough evidence for a Leon County judge to grant Denise Williams' petition to have Mike declared legally dead. This allowed her to immediately file claims for her husband's life insurance, which totaled $1.5 million. Yeah. Five years later, 2005 now, Denise married her childhood acquaintance, husband's best friend, and life insurance salesman, Brian Winchester. Hmm. They continued to live in the house that Denise and Mike had shared. Oh, my gosh. And that seemed to be the end of it. Um, They were occasionally asked for comment. They did not come in. They did not talk about it. Tragic accident. Everybody had moved on. Right. But Cheryl Williams, Mike's mom, was not convinced that this is how things had gone down. Right. So in 2004, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, which is abbreviated FDLE, which in my head is fiddle. Fiddle. The fiddle. (laughs) That would explain a lot. Yeah. Agreed to reopen the case after lobbying by Cheryl Williams and another friend who is unnamed. 
looking back at the case, law enforcement agreed that the circumstances following his apparent drowning were unusual. They brought up some additional facts. Number one, the boat launch where his car was found and where, in theory, he would have launched his boat was in patch of mud, undeveloped, not really a boat ramp. But there was a finished concrete launch very nearby that he'd used in the past. This was kind of his normal area that uh-huh. he would access the lake. There was a storm the night that he went missing. Remember, they had to call off the yeah, search party. right. The westerly winds from that storm should have blown the boat to the Georgia side of the lake, but it was found on the Florida side of the lake. Oh. When the boat was found on the Florida side of the lake, the engine was off, but the oh. gas tank was full. And according to the manufacturer, if the boat had been on when Mike fell into the lake, it would have just spun itself in circles until it was out of gas. Okay. They also discovered that Mike didn't generally hunt alone, but he had that morning. Mm. Then they started poking holes in the whole alligator Adam theory. Yeah. There's no way the clothes would be intact. Well, it turns out alligators don't generally feed during the winter months because they're cold. All of their energy is spent maintaining their body temperature and they, they don't care about food. Gotcha. And it was it was cold. Like they pulled their weather records. It was cold enough for alligators not to eat. Cold. <laughs> it was Florida cold. <laughs> well, man, now I might know whether or not they hibernate. I don't know that they for like hibernate right. in the traditional sense, but right. like but essentially they're busy staying alive. Yeah. But even if the alligator had, and I quote one of the investigators, defied all known gator behavior. <laughs> oh my god! It would have left something behind. Yeah. Mike was about 5'10", 170 pounds, and it would be very, very unusual to have the complete disappearance of a grown man. Remember the waiters? Yeah. They were found in an area of known alligator activity. I believe it's called Florida. Yeah, right? (laughs) But they didn't have any tooth marks or residue or anything that would be expected to accumulate on something that had been submerged in the lake for six months at that point. Investigators filtered the water in them when they were recovered. No evidence of human remains. Oh. Additionally, Mike was known to be very safety conscious to the point that, and this is a sentence that has deeply confused me. I'm ready. He kept his guns at work to keep them away from his daughter. His one-year-old daughter. He kept his guns at work. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well... Um, so, uh, (laughs) might be a Southern thing. (laughs) That is not unusual. Okay. Gun safety, not a thing. Right. But so most of the companies I've worked for, Mm -hmm. it is in the employee handbook that if you bring a gun to work, even on the work property, even if it's in your trunk, Uh you are fired. Uh We should try to see if there are records for things like how many guns were taken from trucks on school property because that's where they were in the gun rack in the truck because that's what you do with your gun it there's no none (sighs) none the pet store we frequented gave you a discount if you had your gun on you when you came in the store yep yep speechless for the second time (laughs) that uh, that's it I love every single building I go in here is like no guns on the premises. And I'm like, it's amazing because no, seriously. And literally 
any any family owned anything. I mean, first of all, you could go buy them anywhere. But also, if you have your gun on you, you get a discount and a high five and a puppy. You know, like that was just a thing. So, but no, that doesn't. That sentence seems not reasonable. It seems absolutely ridiculous. And yet, I would not have looked at it twice. Oh my gosh! It, the the thing that caught me was like, what's the one year old going to do? But well, other than that, but, I mean, how many stories do you hear about? You know, you keep it under the bed, and it's you know loaded, yeah. and the one year old crawls in and shoots everything. It's a big deal. Well, and it's so it's not as big of a deal here, but also remember that my my family's Canadian. Yeah, like, you know, it's, it's, it's really scary for Diana. We don't gun, <laughs> like, right? I don't get it. No, I don't get it. I was raised don't like get it. you don't need. Nobody needs a gun. Nobody like, needs a gun. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I hear the argument. I need a gun because everybody else has a gun. I hear it. It doesn't make any sense, and no one needs those guns either. Right. If nobody had a gun, then nobody would have a gun. Right. Anyway, so he was safety conscious, uh, again, with the guns at the office. Safety conscious in a illogical kind of way. Well, or perhaps illogical for Florida kind of way. Mm. But the other part of that is that he never would have put his waders on until he was ready to get in the water and start hunting, because that is dangerous. It, because you can get yeah. them filled with water and then you die. Right. Um, and he certainly would not have been driving a boat with his waders on. No. The jacket and the flashlight that were recovered were also in great shape. The flashlight turned on. <laughs> like, still worked. Yeah. So based on all of this, investigators no longer believed that he'd fallen out of the boat, drowned, and then been eaten by alligators. <laughs> it was reclassified as a suspicious missing person. Yes. However, because foul play had not at all been suspected during the initial investigation right crime scene hadn't been protected no his car and boat had been returned to his family yep people had walked all over the scene during the search and the items recovered from the lake weren't retained oh without any evidence and without a body yeah it was impossible for police to make a case yeah in 2007 fiddle closed the case (laughs) I was like, fiddle? fiddle. Oh, fiddle. <laughs> they closed the case. They were convinced that the alligator theory was wrong, but they just didn't have anything else. No, right. A possible new lead emerged in October of 2007. Okay, this is where this kind of thing just blows my mind. Like, someone got away with it. They got 100% in the clear away with it. Textbook. And then... Now, now there's a lead. The Colonial Parkway murders can totally be solved. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mike's older brother found a photograph. Oh, no. And a serial number of a 22 caliber Ruger pistol that had once belonged to their father. Okay. After Mike's disappearance and after he was declared legally dead, it was the only one of the firearms that Denise had not returned to her former in-laws. Apparently all the guns went to live with them. Uh, well, you know, they can't be around the daughter and now there's no work. So. Right. No office to put them in. Right. The ATF was asked to look into it. They visited Denise and Brian Winchester at their home. And after that, their attorney delivered the gun to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. 
Okay. It was sent to the state forensics lab for testing, but those results have never been released. What testing, like whether or not it had been fired? I'm guessing there wasn't much detail on that, but the gun had not been turned over. It was a family thing. Yeah. yeah I don't know if it's heirloom, but um, so yeah, I don't know what kind of test they did. They never released the results. I guess if you shot somebody close enough, you could look for blood. Yeah. In 2008, the Florida Department of Financial Services Division of Insurance Fraud. Holy shit. <laughs> Florida. It took like a whole line. What is wrong with you? <laughs> In conjunction with Fiddle. <laughs> began investigating the case as potential insurance fraud. Mm, a lot more a lot more leeway there, I believe. Yes. So it was noted that Denise's petition to have Mike declared legally dead mentioned only the Kansas City Life Insurance Company policies that Brian Winchester had sold him and not the other policies that Mike had through other vendors and other means. Because she wanted to conceal how much life insurance money there was? Because it's in the petition to declare him dead, not that she didn't claim from those other companies. Right. I wonder if maybe she didn't know. Because I'd be willing to bet at least 200000 of that was life insurance's work had on him. Right. Maybe he bought supplemental life insurance. Again, right. reasonable amount yeah. to have life insurance. Maybe she just didn't necessarily didn't know. know the extent of them or who they were through or, or any okay. of that. So Florida, the very long insurance fraud name was also eventually closed due to lack of evidence. The mm. Division of Insurance Fraud's lead attorney, Mark Schleen, said, Our job was extremely difficult and we were simply unable to develop enough evidence to proceed with the investigation. Seems fair. I'm still confused, though. I'm sorry. So go back to the sentence where you said that she only mentioned the one on the petition for death. It was noted that on Denise's petition to have him declared legally dead, it only mentioned the Kansas City Life Insurance Company policies that had been sold to him by Brian Winchester. But what is the significance of that in relation to an investigation about Insurance fraud. I think they were looking to see if Brian or Denise were involved in his death because those were that was the insurance policy that they had bought not too long before his death by somebody right. they knew. And he was declared legally dead. I don't have the date on it. But it was within a couple of months. Which I also, I didn't look into what it takes to be declared legally dead in most places, but I thought it was years had to pass well it was right after they found like the waiters and stuff right but again no evidence or something that there was even a body there was just a pair of boots in the lake right so so i think what i think probably what they had to do is in the petition to have him legally declared dead because i would be willing to bet i mean a no life insurance if she was not earning the money that he was which i suspect is true they had a house in a very nice suburb. Yeah. She probably needed money Desperate. to pay bills. And probably that was part of the petition of, if we declare him legally dead, I can collect the life insurance. I can pay my bills. I can Provide support my daughter. daughter. Yeah. Right. So I think there has to be a, a case for why we're doing this now. Gotcha. So, but. Okay. Okay. Which makes me think either she didn't know or she was trying to hide it to make it look like they weren't involved. I don't know. That wasn't clearly right. stated, but how much life insurance there was was definitely minimized. 
Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That was that was sort of what I was wondering. Like, was it significant that she was in like potentially leaving the other ones out, or was it just like both of their names were on it and it was the only one she mentioned? So that was suspicious. Either or, honestly, I could yeah. go based on what I know about her. I could go either way. Okay. It could be she honestly didn't know what he had through work, or if there was something else, or it could be that she was trying to hide how much there was. Right. Not okay. sure. In 2012, Denise and Brian Winchester separated, apparently due to his sex addiction. Whoa. Yeah. I like that their name is Winchester. And this whole thing's about too. a gun. Yeah. <laughs> she filed for divorce about three years later. Brian was not interested in getting divorced. He had to be ordered by the court to comply and to participate I... in the divorce. Wow. I didn't realize it was optional. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I know it is here. Yeah. When I got divorced, um, idiot, he wasn't cooperating and we didn't have property or anything to divide up. So the state had no vested interest in in making him cooperate in anything. Oh, right. So I could have, I think I could have waited him out. Right. And it would have eventually gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But. They had property. They they had stuff. Like they, yeah. they had things to talk about. They had, they had million or some odd dollars in life insurance. Well, and a that, house and yeah. um. Well, so how long after was it? Years after she after he was declared dead that they got married. Like five years. Okay, so that was not a factor in. No, I don't know. It's kind of the long game there. It was a long game, and I don't know that. It was never mentioned necessarily that they were having an affair before he died or right. like a little foggy on all that. But they'd known each other forever. Yeah. Yeah. And they'd been close friends and right. he was probably there to comfort and. Well, yeah. And assuming he didn't already know. <laughs> right. So they, yeah. Mike disappeared in 2000. They got married about five years later. They separated in 2012. Didn't file for a divorce until 2015. So this is. Recent. Like, they were now married it's for a while. Yeah. Part of the order, uh, when he wasn't cooperating and needed needed a court order, is he had to provide an appraisal of the couple's house by August of 2016. So here's something that I found a little bit weird, and I'm sure it's different in Florida, but in Minnesota, that house isn't marital property. Because she owned it before they got married. In Minnesota, if you own something before you are married and you still own it, after you are married, it is not communal property. Right. So, for example, I had a car that I had bought before I was married to my ex. In our divorce, because he was a shit stain, he wanted me to pay him for the value of the car payments that he contributed. Right. While we were married. Because I still owned the car. Right. It wasn't marital property. Is it... Well, she would have had all the money, though. I was going to say, is it possible that somehow he was put on the mortgage? Like, they refinanced so, or they yeah, something. He, he could have been put on. He could have been put on the deed. It, things could be different in Florida. It could be considered marital property. Yeah, I, don't I just know. don't know what the laws are. But that's when I read that, I was like, well, that's not even marital. Wait. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm not a lawyerologist. <laughs> a lawyerologist. <laughs> I don't know why they would have needed to refinance, but I had that one story about people that just kept blowing through the life insurance money. So yeah. who knows? But 
Well, I mean, maybe they got a better interest rate. Maybe, you know, yeah. there's lots of reasons. But Why wouldn't you just pay that off <laughs> immediately? Yeah, if I had a million dollars, that's the first thing i do is write yeah. a check to the mortgage company. Right? <laughs> but anyway, um, part of the order was that he needed to provide an appraisal for their home by August of 2016. On the day that the appraisal had to be filed with the court, Denise left her home to drive to her job at Florida State. She was on the phone with her sister in the car. <gasps> she saw someone climb over the back seat of her car, <gasps> and it was Brian. He took away his, her phone, began yelling directions at her. She didn't comply until she saw the gun. Oh. But even then, instead of going where he wanted her to, she drove to a parking lot of a CVS right by the front door. Wow. Brian explained that his actions had been necessary because Denise had not been taking his calls, had blocked his text messages. OMG. Right. <laughs> he said that he was planning to kill himself with the gun, that he felt he had nothing to live for if this divorce went through. Oh, my God. She was able to talk him down, took him back to his car. As he left the car, he collected the things that he'd brought with him. A tan-colored sheet, a different colored plastic sheet, a spray bottle of bleach, and an unspecified tool. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Denise went right to the cops. Well, good. Apparently, Brian had asked her not to, and she was like, yeah, 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 not going to go. Just going to drop you at your car. It's all going to be good. No, went right to the cops. According to a friend of Brian's that was later interviewed by the police, Brian was concerned that after the divorce, Denise would tell the police what she knew about, quote, this guy who died 10 or 12 or 15 years ago. Wow. Since she had not been answering his phone calls, he came up with this plan. Yeah. Murder her while she's driving down the road. Yeah. So he was arrested. He was charged with kidnapping, domestic assault, and armed burglary. Two of those are felonies. Yeah. Denise requested and was granted orders for protection. Yeah. Brian was held without bond. In December of 2017, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison for the kidnapping, with credit for time served, followed by 15 years probation. No mention of Mike's disappearance was mentioned during the sentencing. Although the state attorney reached an agreement with prosecutors before the sentencing that the state would not seek life sentence for the kidnapping charge, nor introduce certain evidence at the hearing. We don't know what Brian agreed to for those terms. The day after the sentencing, a press conference was held to announce that Mike Williams' body had been found and that he had been the victim of a homicide. They did not release any details about how he had been killed, who might be a suspect or a person of interest, or where the body had been found, saying that that was information that only the perpetrators would know. It was subsequently revealed that Mike Williams' body was found at the end of a dead-end road five miles away from where he grew up, 
and his identity was confirmed via a DNA match to his mother. Apparently, the police sent, they knew where the body, the location of the body was, and had known since October of 2017. Oh. They found out where the location of the body was. They sent out a team with, like, backhoes and shit. Yeah. And said it was just a training mission. Go dig. Oh. See what's going on. Two days. Took them two days to find them. Wow. Yeah. On May 8th, 2018, a grand jury indicted Denise Williams on charges of first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and accessory after the fact, which means she somehow hid that she knew what was going on. Right. Minutes later, she was arrested at Florida State as she left work to celebrate her daughter's 19th birthday. Oh, the poor three- kid. Yeah. The three-page indictment was released two days later. It alleges that Denise began conspiring with Brian in March of 2000, which was nine months before Mike disappeared, and that Brian had killed Mike with a gun. Her lawyer maintains that she had nothing to do with the crime and that Brian acted alone. There is uh, an interview that Brian has done. The audio has since been released. And in this audio, he confesses to pulling the trigger, but says the entire thing was Denise's idea. Her defense is seeking to prevent that tape from being admitted into evidence. Mm. She is currently being held without bond, and the trial is scheduled to begin two weeks from today. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that is textbook. That's It is textbook. The like The most cliche murder mystery ever written. There was some point last night when I was reaching all, researching all of this where I'm like, come on use your goddamn imagination right (laughs) (laughs) yeah but at the same time like it was still like it was still good i i definitely thought it was just her because of the length of time between when the murder took place and when they got together like when he would have financially benefited although Mm. i guess if they were in it all together the whole time like i'm sure right. she paid him off and all of that but sure yeah although again like the 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 uh commission on that would have been really good well <laughs> life insurance true. was a really high commission well yeah and yeah he he got paid twice like well more than twice because there are residuals like he got well, well no i'm the policy had been cashed out so no he didn't get any residuals on it but but he, but he I got would the initial assume, commission. I'm right. sure she bumped some back. Right. Then he got married and like lived that life for yeah. a long time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Our stories were total opposite. <laughs> they were, but it's funny because they're both kind of the perfect crime story. Yeah. If he had not gone bonkers and tried to kidnap. Yeah. His wife, they never would have been caught. No. There was no evidence. The crime scene was all fucked up. He was not anywhere near the lake. Yeah. Well, I don't know about anywhere near, but not at the lake. Right. There was just nothing. Like, they did a good job. How did they find the body? We don't know. So. I am waiting for the trial. Potentially, though, that... He may, they may have been found out if he hadn't snapped. Because who knows what evidence is on the body. Well, but somebody would have had to have found the body. And if it took guys with equipment two days, they did a good job. Well, right. But like, how, I, 
I don't know where to look. So what I think happened is that there is generally a pause between either a plea or, you know, a trial or whatever and sentencing. He was sentenced in December. They had known about the body's location since October. Right. I would be willing to bet, you know, it very specifically said, we don't know what he promised as part of the deal to not seek life. Gotcha. So he gave up the... I am guessing that is what it is, is he gave up the location. They went looking. They weren't going to say anything until sentencing. They were very careful about not saying anything during sentencing to not tip her off. Right. And they must have needed additional information because they knew about the body's location since October. Right. They announced it to the public that he'd been found in December. She was not arrested until May. Yeah. They had to corroborate whatever story he told. Right. And, you know, I'm sure that there was forensics that was done. There was other stuff that was done. Well, even the DNA. Right. Takes a long time. Right. And they, yeah, they, they said that they did two different tests to match it against his mom. Of course, his dad right. is gone. So I'm sure it just took a while to get all of that. But if, if Brian Winchester had not lost his shit, yeah. we wouldn't know. Wow. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> And somehow less depressing than mine. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it'll Even be re- someone actually died. Yeah. So it'll be really interesting to see. Like, I want to keep an eye on this case and see what comes out at Let's trial. mark that down. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it is on the calendar for follow-up. Um, yeah. I might actually pay seven ninety five for the <laughs> full file on that one. <laughs> right. Right. Wow. That's really fascinating. So, yeah. Look, look for an update sometime in the future because I want to keep an eye on this one. Wish they were in Virginia and then Tanya could just get us to start now. Right. Tanya could just meet Denise and like, hey, do you mind if my friends talk about you on their podcast? Right. <laughs> I know your trial hasn't happened yet, but it's cool. It's all good. They'll keep your secret. Yeah. <laughs> if you are guilty, definitely tell me. Right. <laughs> tell me all the details. All right. Wow. Yeah. That was such a great episode. Oh, Yeah. I'm this so is a excited. really good one. I'm so excited. We'll just congratulate ourselves on air about we how great it was. <laughs> awesome. So what else do we need to cover this week? We need to talk about our amazing fans. Yes. I love our fans. I love our fans. We have had such great conversations this week and yes. all sorts of stuff. I hope you're enjoying the things that we're putting up on social media. Uh, yeah. Can I give you a shout out on our <laughs> podcast? Your social media game is on point. I am like, having so much fun. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> I am learning. Like today she was posting stuff and called me over and she was like, look, look at this. Things I didn't know about the story I told. Yeah. Oh like, my God. Ah, love it. I I'm, love it. So it will be out by the time this episode is released. I found something so cool today. Ooh. I'm so excited to post it. <laughs> is it the thing you showed me? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. It's so me cool. Me too. I can't wait to read it when you post it. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Diana is, if you don't follow us, she's about to tell you how to follow us. You need to because it's like Easter eggs, right? It's like yes. everything we talk about and then all this cool stuff about it. Yay. I'm having fun. And so many pangolins. Oh. They are so cute. <laughs> so how can they follow us? Oh, wait. Wait, we have more. Wait, there's more. Crime Crazy is sponsored by M. Gillum and Elizabeth Wilder. Woohoo! 
I happen to know that around the time this episode is released, Elizabeth is going to Ireland. Ooh. And I'm kind of hoping she's listening to this on the plane. Oh, that would be good timing. So if you are, Beth, say hello to my favorite country. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show, but my maiden name, uh, the meaning behind it is faithful to my unhappy country. Oh, that's almost sort of depressing, though. <laughs> but it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thank you, Emma and Elizabeth. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to support Crime Crazy, please check out our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash crimecrazypod or search for Crime Crazy Podcast. All patrons get a monthly shout out on the show. And you know what? This month, this I week I was is? just about to say, oh, Diana, it's time. It is. So it is monthly Patreon shout out time. Woohoo. Thank you to all of our September supporters. Of course, our sponsors, Emily and Elizabeth. We would also like to send a huge thank you to Michael, Molly, Peg, Patty, Brian, and Jonathan. You guys are the best. Thank you. If you would like to receive a shout out for doing things other than supporting us on Patreon. Or in addition to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. You do you. Yeah. We're not picky. (laughs) (laughs) If you'd like to receive a shout out, please rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast catcher of choice. We give shout outs for all reviews. But we like the five star ones the best. Yes, we do. You can follow Crime Crazy on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash crimecrazypod. From there, you can catch up on the conversation in one of two or, or both. both groups. We that now was not planned. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very cute. We now have two groups. There is a public group. Yeah. There is also a private group. So if you don't want all your friends and relatives and coworkers to know what a creeper you truly are, come to the private group. It's That's all good. Right. So okay. our public group, just casual, come on in. Yeah. Invite your friends. It's all good. Be aware that grandma can see what you say. Right. So if you don't want grandma to see what you say, come on into the private group. That's cool, too. You can follow us on Twitter at CrimeCrazyPod. You can follow us on Instagram at CrimeCrazyPod. Visit our website at CrimeCrazyPodcast.com or email us. Please email us. Yes. At CrimeCrazyPodcast at gmail.com. If you have any story ideas, if you um, have anything you want us to look into, mm-hmm. just want to share anything, we would love to get some email from you. Absolutely. In fact, next week, I am covering a story that was sent to us by a fan. Yay. And I am super excited to tell. It's a very cool story. I, I mean, in a crime way. Yeah, I may also do that uh, because there was one I was going to do this week, but it was really intricate. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do something a little bit shorter, but then. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> really thought this one was going to be shorter. You can follow us on Twitter. You're at? Erin Plime. And I'm at Diana underscore Secon. Follow us on Instagram. You're at? Eplime. And I'm at Classy underscore Broad underscore MSP. She's never changing it, guys. It's a lie. I am, but I only think about it when I read this and think, God damn it, I need to change that. (laughs) (laughs) So, Diana. Erin. Do you have any words of wisdom for us this evening? I do. Mm -hmm. Stay away from Lake Seminole. Yeah, no shit. Stay out of chat rooms. Um, always good. That was going to be my advice. I, I almost said I have advice this week. <laughs> Nothing good can come from a chat room. Nope. 
Nope, it is. We are past those. 15-year-old me can verify nothing good comes from a shower. Oh, my God. So your story was in what, 2006? Three. 2003? I was 28. <laughs> well, 2003, I was 20. I guess I would have been 21. Yeah. Um, but 15-year-old me was the one that spent more time in chat rooms. 21-year-old me was married and not yeah. so interested in chat rooms any longer. Yeah, 15-year-old me hadn't heard of the internet. <laughs> well, I mean, you are like old as dirt, so. Yeah, well, I mean, that was 90. So stay out of chat rooms. Stay out of chat rooms. Stay out of Lake Seminole. Your odds are bad in that lake. Yeah, at least in that one area, it sounds like. Oh, so I was thinking about this because we have some lakes here in Minnesota. We, we have a couple. Not very many. Like, I really haven't no, seen very many. No, 10, 12,000, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I am pretty sure uh, my grandpa had a boat on Lake Minnetonka when I was a kid, which is a big lake. <laughs> is it? Is it a big lake? It is a big lake. Where is it? In Minnetonka. <laughs> oh, yeah. So like in Minnesota. Like 15 minutes No, from I'm here. just joking. I know where it is. You know what Minnetonka means? Uh, no. Big water. Hmm. Mm. So it's a big lake. Yeah, it's a big lake. <laughs> my grandpa had a boat on Lake Minnetonka when I was a kid. And I feel like if my mom knew that 79 other people had died in it, we would not have been allowed to go on the boat anymore. Right? Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. So stay out of chat rooms. Stay out of Lake Seminole. Call your people. Call your people. Call your people. And don't end up on next week's episode. <laughs>